All right, you can get your listening guides out. Now, God just gave me a principle that I didn't put on your listening guide, so you can just write this in at the top, okay, or find a little blank place and, and put this, all right? The degree to which I love my neighbor is evidenced by the quality of my game. You writing that down? That's a principle. The degree to which I love my neighbor is evidenced by the quality of my game. Guarantee you. So you show up to Fall Festival with your raggedy little thing that you thought up two days ago. You don't love your neighbor. Just maybe a little bit. You put your heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears into something. Use your creativity. Think about it. Then, you know, maybe at some point all the kids uh, at the, uh, in the community up there in West Wortham be talking about your game. See? That's how that works. Amen. All right. Let's get to work. All right. On your listening guides. Wherever the gospel is, there is war. War. The Bible's very clear about this issue of war being present wherever the gospel is. See, if there's no gospel, well, then there's no need for spiritual warfare. The purpose of spiritual warfare is always to fight against the glory of God, which is manifest through the gospel. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 1. We've been talking about how Paul's been showing us the, the old covenant versus the new covenant. And he's been using this illustration of Moses and the glory of God. And one's passing away and one is more glorious because it is, it is everlasting. And, and all of these uh, ways that, that the church at Corinth is struggling, I mean... One of the most frustrating things in life, and many of you can relate to this, is when someone that you deeply love just doesn't get it. It's so painful. Now imagine how Paul feels. He loves this church with all of his heart. He has poured his life into this church. I've told you many times he spent more time in Corinth than he did in any other city he planted a church, and yet they just don't get it. They, they just, there's so many people in this congregation that just don't get it. And it's very, very frustrating. Maybe you have a family member or a loved one and you have, have shared with them and talked to them and, and counseled them and prayed for them and begged them and they just don't get it. So Paul says, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in the craftiness of, or, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, remember what's going on. False gospel has infiltrated the church at Corinth. And they've been believing things that they ought not believe. And so over these past weeks, we've been talking about all these false gospels that have infiltrated the modern church and, inf and are always seeking to get into our heads and our hearts and deceive us. And it's, 
It's very uh, sinister and sneaky and prevalent in our day. And you have to understand that a false gospel, a false gospel can only be successful if it can get you to do something, right? That's what a false gospel's goal is, is to get you to do something or to get you to not do something. That's always the motivation behind a false gospel. So think of it this way. The first step for a false teacher is to get you to believe that Christianity is something we do, not something we are. You're going to have to just excuse me for that question mark at the end of that on your handout. I have no idea why there's a question mark there. That's the first step of a false teacher because a, a false wants you, and listen, it's very sneaky, and it's coming after you all the time. And it's very easy to fall into this trap. See, what happens is, most of the time, false teaching teaches true things in a false way. I mean, I've told you that over and over, but you gotta, I want you to become trained to this so that you can identify it when you see it. Now, in these first couple of verses, what we see is two things that don't define success in God's eyes, because Paul's defending his ministry here and what's going on there. And in doing so, he's going to give us a couple of uh, principles about uh, success in ministry and what God defines as success instead of what we have a tendency to define as success. So the first one is God does not measure our church's success by the response we get from people. See, again, false gospel wants you to believe, wants you to do something, and wants you to, wants you to believe that Christianity is what you do. You think about Paul, most of the places where he preached, he had people respond, but most people rejected him. A lot of the time, uh, they didn't reject him quietly. Uh, it, was, uh, it was with things like him ending up in prison or getting a beating or uh, riots in the streets or all sorts of things. He was run out of town multiple times. And so it would have been real easy for him to get discouraged. And to, to an, an unspiritual eye, to an unsaved person, they would look at that and think, man, you're, you know, you are not very good at this because this isn't working out very good. And so what happens is people uh, who, who face this challenge, what they do is, they have the truth, and then they realize, well, the truth brings all this trouble, and so they revert to the temptation to change the message to make it more palatable. Let's, let's say things in a way people want to hear it. Let's, you know, have you ever read something in the Bible and just went, oh, man, like, you know, if I share that with somebody there, you know, if I share that with my unbelieving coworker, they're going to flip out. Like, there's no way that's going to go over. You know, that might turn people away. So let's avoid that, those, those parts of the gospel. You know, let's soften it up. Let's adjust it. See, he says in verse 2, we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. See, trying to manipulate things to make it more palatable to men. 
The second principle is this. God does not measure our church's success by our church's appeal. By our church's appeal. So it's not just the response of people to the message, but it's also the response of people to the church itself. You know, when you're inviting somebody to church or somebody saying, oh, you know, you go to church, you know, tell me about that. And you're, so you start telling them about, you know, how you love your church and, and, and how friendly your church is and, and, you know, how wonderful the people are that you are in your spiritual family and how you can count on them when you need them. And, and, and you know, just all the things that you love about your church, you want them to, to know that you're part of a church that is wonderful about accepting people that may be a little bit different than, than maybe other people are, or whatever the case may be. But listen, one of the deadliest temptations is to make our church the message. Yeah, we got a wonderful church. Man, it's wonderful. But understand something, when you're talking to somebody who is blind, all these things that you're telling them are, I mean, they're all the things that they think they experience at the bar with their friends. You see what I'm saying? So the church isn't the message. The gospel is the message. We don't necessarily want people to come to our church. We want people to get saved. That's what we ultimately want. We're, we're grateful when God sends them to our church, but the, we just want to be faithful to God didn't call us to build a church. He called us to build His kingdom. So what happens to so many churches is they fall prey to this, and the way you know that is because then the church becomes filled with ministries that people like. Doesn't that sound bad? See, some of you are like, man, yeah, that's what I want. Well, you're in the wrong place. Because let me explain something to you. We're not the point. You got that? We're not the point. And the problem is, is that we, we continually want to make ourselves the point. But we're not the point. Jesus is the point. That's the whole point. And so you know what, you get, if you get a bunch of people coming to your church because you have a bunch of ministries that people like, then your church is filled with lost people who are only going to be there for a little while, then they're going to be gone, and then you're going to be devastated. And then you know what you're going to do? The same thing most churches, then they're going to try to find something more exciting, more flashy, more this, more that. To, and it's just this never-ending cycle of doom. The only thing that brings lasting change is transformation through the gospel. I have to remember that. So these words that Paul is speaking are so relevant to the situation that we face today around, uh, especially in the Western Christianity. Look at verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So, you know, they're complaining because people aren't responding. Well, of course there's I mean, listen, I mean, you know, I would be worried. See, some of you get worried. It's, it's interesting. Like when you first start coming to Michael, there's all these things that you got to get used to that you've never seen before. Like when you come to Michael, one of the things you got to get used to is 
People are going to get offended, get up and walk out the door and never come back. It happens all the time. But listen, what would freak me out is if that stopped happening. You understand? Listen, I know why that's happening, and you should know why that's happening. Paul's explaining it. Listen, if our gospel's veiled, why? Because they're perishing. So if I get up here and start talking about how sinful and rotten we are, somebody's going to get up and walk out. Well, why do you think that is? Because they're blind. That's why. I mean, and so he's just explaining, look, they're perishing. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see that? Do I, do I have any control over that? Do you have any control over that? We have no control over that. All we have is the message. The only thing that will make a difference is if the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. I cannot make that happen, nor can you. we just got to be faithful to the message. We've got to be faithful to the message. For, look at verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Whew. It's awesome. Now, we could spend all morning talking about how uh, this is my mission statement in life and how whenever I feel the temptation to uh, violate my conscience and, and make the voices that are chirping in my ears happy, I read this text. That's what I do to stay faithful. And to stay focused. Now we could spend the whole morning talking about that. And it would be really beneficial and therapeutic for me. I'm not sure how beneficial and therapeutic it would be for you. But what I would rather do is I would rather show you the, the evolution of glory. So that you can put all these pieces together about what we've been talking about over the last four weeks. You can see how all of this fits together. And what the Bible is teaching us about the process of sanctification and why the Bible uses this, this imagery of glory and veil and all this stuff. I've been slowly peeling back the layers over the last couple of weeks. And so this morning I want to show you the whole evolution. And here's why I want to do that. Because I'm not sure... That we understand how good we have it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that all of us are on the same page with this. I'm not sure that you really understand how incredibly, unbelievably amazing the new covenant is versus the old covenant. Because I'm, I'm just telling you that... If you really get what the new covenant is and you see the, the role and the purpose and the, the, the wisdom of God in the old covenant and how it prepared everything for the new covenant, it just makes you so filled with excitement that you can't hardly contain yourself. And so I'm hoping this morning God will 
give us eyes to see so we all together can, can see this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. You don't need to turn here. I'll put these verses on the screen. I'm going to go back to Exodus 33, and I want to remind you of, of, of this story, okay? So in Exodus 33, Moses comes down off the mountain from getting the Ten Commandments from God, and the, the children of Israel are down there worshiping a golden calf, and it's a big mess. And God's, you know, upset, and it's, a, every, you know, it's just a disaster. And so what happens is God sends Moses to take the people onward to the promised land without him. Do you remember this? And so Moses is like, wait, wait, what? You, and, and God says, look, I'm going to send angels, and they're going to go before you. Don't worry about it. You go. You're, but it's a stiff-necked people. And, and so what we see in this moment is how the Bible's teaching us about how it's insufficient to just know about God. Because watch what happens. See, Moses has the Ten Commandments, right? He has the, he has the instructions on how to live. He also has the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. He has those instructions. He, he can gather all the people together. He can teach them all the stories. He can take them to the place. But Moses understands something. It's not going to work if God's not there. See, without the presence of God, all of these possessions, spiritual possessions, are pointless. You understand? And so what happens is, in, in verse 15, Exodus 33, then Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. In other words, if you don't go, I'm not going. See, Moses is saying that possessing without presence is pointless. That's what he's saying. It's just, it, but what I'm telling you Today, you know what the church thinks? They're just, oh, well, if we got the stuff, if we've got the, the, the concepts, if we've got the thing, we're good. I'm telling you, you have, it would just be astonishing to you. If you and I could knew the, the, the buildings filled with people holding Bibles, listening to words and singing songs, and the presence of God is not there. It's not there. And they're completely fine with it because the gospel's false. It's being taught all over the place. And the thing about it is, is you think, well, I'm being dramatic. I'm not being dramatic. At any given point on any given day, the number one, one, two, three, four, five best-selling Christian books are heresy. So how, is, how else would you explain it? All right. It's my point. It's... It's actually what's happening. People don't need to, because the presence of God is not where the gospel's not. God's not hanging out there. You got that? So, verse 16. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth? And so Moses is saying, look, if you don't go with us, we're just going to be another world religion. We're just be like everybody else. We're going to have sacred texts. Every religion has sacred texts and has sacred places and sacred things. 
But if you don't have God, you're just going to be like one of them. Be no different. Verse 17. Then, So God said to Moses, I will also do this that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. See how personal that is? And he said, so Moses said, please show me your glory. Glory. It, the, the, the word glory, it, it's, it means like weightiness. But what it really means is show me your essence. Show me the essence of who you are. So Moses is saying, look, I've seen the things you do in the burning bush. I've seen the things you do in Egypt with Pharaoh. I've seen all the things that you do. See, I know about you. But I want to see what's behind the things you do. That's what he's saying. Show me your glory, the essence of who you are. So watch what God does. Fascinating. So then God said, I will make my goodness pass before you. Now here's the thing. What did Moses ask for? Did he say, show me your goodness? What did he ask for? And then what does God say? He says, show me your glory. And God says... Because he wants to see what's behind what you do. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious to. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now that's a very interesting answer. Because it's, it's illustrating two primary things. Moses wants to see the glory of God. God doesn't show him his law. Doesn't show him his judgment. No, that's not what he does. God very specifically shows Moses his goodness and his sovereignty. His goodness and his sovereignty. He says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. And that whole issue of I'll show favor to who I show favor to is just I'm sovereign. So here's what, Mo, here's what God's doing. God, if we want to see the essence of who God is, the essence of who God is is found in the fact that you know what he is? He's a good dad. And he's in control. That's the essence of who he is. And if you want to see the glory of God, or if you've ever seen the glory of God, then you know that about him because that's who he is. Verse 20. Well, God said, but you can't see my face. For no man shall see me and live. Now, did Moses say anything about face? Did he? No. He said glory. But God is pointing out another thing. He's saying, now here's who I am. Here's the essence of who I am. But also, to really, 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 if you really want to know who I am, you've got to look into my face. But you can't do that because if you do, you're toast. What are you saying? You can't handle my face. Verse 21, the Lord said, here's a... Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on this rock. So it shall be while my goodness passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So he says, I'm going to let you see my afterglow. I'm going to let you see a glimpse of my essence. Okay? You can't see my face because you can't handle my face. You're not, you have no capacity for something that personal or intimate. See, the face, think about the face. It's, it's very personal, isn't it? 
This is why our kids grab our face and point it to them. When we don't listen to them, they grab your face and they point it right at you. And they're like, Dad, Mom, right? Because they know that it's, hey, it's face to face. That's important. It's, it's very, very, very important in all our relationships. See, some of y'all, that's the problem you have with your marriage. There's not enough face to face. See, in, in marriage, you have to have shoulder to shoulder because that's how you get things done. You got to be shoulder to shoulder to get things done, but you can't just be shoulder to shoulder. You can't be shoulder to shoulder all the time to the exclusion of face to face. It won't work. You got to make priority. You got to make time and relationships for face to face. See, some of you, you skip face to face and just try to get to hip to hip, and that's why you end up back to back. That's your marriage advice for the day. You got that? Don't be skipping. Face to face. It won't work. It will not work. There's an intensity to face to face. So here's the principle. The glory of God is not a place. It is a person. And you think, well, okay, that's not earth shattering. It is. You have no idea how many things in your life, how many voices are trying to convince you otherwise, and how many ways you've been tricked about doing things rather than being. I'm telling you. See, the point of this passage here is what what God is showing us is that, look, the glory of God is not the holy of holies. The glory of God is not the ark of the covenant. It's not the tent of meetings. It's not Mount Sinai. It's no, the glory of God is it's no longer a place that you pursue. It's not what it is. It's a person. And so when you get to the new covenant, it's a person who pursues you. That's what the glory of God is. See, look, this is why when we get to the New Testament, we have, and the word became flesh and Look at he comes, dwells among us, and we beheld what? His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yes, the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus that he's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. See, he's the essence of who he is and upholding all things by the power of his word. There you go. So remember back in 2 Corinthians now, in the last passage that I read, it says, for, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You're starting to see this correlation between what happened in Exodus 33 and how, oh, now I'm beginning to see in 2 Corinthians 4 how all of this, the face of Jesus. You see that the face of Jesus. God says, Moses said, I want to see your glory. God says, you can't see my face. That's what's going on. Remember last week. Verse 18, chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians. But we all with unveiled face are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Yes. That's what all this is, is leading towards. That's the evolution of glory to get us to see this. That now in the new covenant we have access 
to the glory of God. An access that Moses could have never imagined. Moses has, the same, has this wonderful desire that we all should have, show me the glory of God. But the capacity that Moses had versus the opportunity that we have could not be further apart. Moses could have never imagined. So, you know, you hear people say things and you just scratch your head. You know what I mean? Like people say things like, I want to see the glory of God like Moses did. That's just dumb. What do you mean? For a new, a new covenant believer to say that is sheer ignorance. What? I just read you the passages of Scripture. God said to Moses, you can't see my face. It'll kill you. You go to the New Testament, it's constantly the face, the face, the face, over and over. We can see the face. We're face to face. We can look into his face, 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 face. You don't want to see God like Moses. See, we don't realize what we have. We don't realize what we've got. We get to come face to face with the God of the universe and the person of Christ. That's the beauty of the new covenant. Because God's glory was never a place. It was always a person. But all throughout history and just as much today, people are working double time, triple time, trying to keep everyone thinking and believing that the glory of God is a place. And it's a place that's defined by things that you do instead of who you are. It's a false gospel. Listen, what, what were they trying to, what was the gospel they were trying to get the Corinthians to, to believe that Paul's addressing? Wasn't it just to, it wasn't to abandon God. It was just to live according to the old covenant. I'm telling you, there's not a family in this room right now that doesn't have, you have family members right now that go to church every Sunday. And if you look at, what, at the way they understand the gospel, what they hear, the way they live, they're, they're in the old covenant. It's a false gospel. I'm telling you. And you don't, you, some of you are like, what do you, you don't even realize you're surrounded by people that are this illustration right here. All right, so open your, flip over to Matthew 17. Let's look at this real quick at the end here. I want you to see this. Page 1132 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 17. Now watch how this comes together for us. Matthew 17, verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain. Hmm. Should be suspicious when you... Where are they going? Oh, a high mountain. Well, there you go. Something's about to happen. By themselves. Why, where are the other disciples? Every time you say, that's just not fair. Hmm? It's not right to play favorites. 
Come on, there it is right there. Where are the other disciples? Not invited. Not invited. Doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love them as much as he loves them. It just means stop being a baby. That's what it means. Stop being a baby. So Peter, James, and John, he leads them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, verse 2, before them. His face shone like the sun. Uh Uh-oh, we're on a mountain. We got a face and something's shining. We should be paying attention. And his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. What? Now, this is in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke tells us, even gives us more detail, tells us what they're talking about. They're talking about the departure, which is the word exodus. What? Yeah, they're talking about the exodus that's about to happen. Jesus' exodus in Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, you should read. It's amazing. It's right here. His exodus. So there's Jesus talking to Moses. Jesus talking to Moses. You know, Jesus saying, yeah, Moses, okay, so you were sent by God to set his people free from slavery and bondage and take them to dwell in the promised land. I am God, sent by God, to set my people free from sin and slavery, but I'm going to take them to dwell in the promised land of eternity. Yeah. But you see that, that it's just crazy that well, we're on a mountain, we got shining faces, we got, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? So why do we have Moses and Elijah? Moses represents what? The law. Elijah represents the prophets. Whenever the New Testament talks about the Old Testament, it always refers to it as the law and the prophets, right? And so you got the law and the prophets there. So there's the disciples. Are, are you with me on this? Do you get what's happening The disciples are witnessing the old covenant talking to the new covenant. You see what's happening on this mountain right now? This whole thing is happening right in front of them. Of course they don't understand what's going on, but me and you should. They can't see what we can see in this moment. So they're like, what in the world? So verse 4, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? I don't think I should be here right now, Lord. I don't really know what's going on, but can we go down? Now, why does he say, I mean, this is, it makes perfect sense. He says, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You thinking? Look, Peter still thinks the glory of God is a place. He wants to stay in the place. He, he's trying to keep them in a place. He's, but, but don't blame him. Blame us. He can't see what you and I can see. He's saying, let's just stay here on this mountain. But maybe we shouldn't be here, but you guys should stay here. See? Now look at verse Five, you should underline in your Bible, while he was still speaking. You should underline that. While he was still speaking. Before he finished rambling, 
on about, oh, it's still a place, maybe I should make a tent, which is a really dumb thing to say. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now, these are Jewish boys who went to Jewish school all their life. They know what a cloud means. Uh Uh-oh. They know the Old Testament. They know when a cloud showed up in Moses' tent. They know a cloud means God's there. That's not good. People die. So a cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice comes out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Now, do you see what just happened? In other words... The reason it's important to get while he was still speaking. That phrase, while he was still speaking, in the Hebrew, it means shut your pie hole. (laughs) God just told Peter, shut up. That's what he said. Shut up. Zip it. Stop talking. You are totally confused about this moment. That's what he said. And when the disciples heard what God said, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Yes, they were greatly afraid because they thought, well, that's over. We're dead now. Well, they saw the cloud. God started speaking. They're like, we shouldn't be here. You know, they're probably laying there with their eyes closed going, I told you not to. They're yelling at each other like, because they know it's it's not going to be good. They think they're dead. And here's the thing. If things were the way they were, they would be dead. But they're not. This whole episode is happening as illustration. This is a new day. It's, it's, it's unleashing something new, a new covenant with new access. Okay, you ready? Look at verse 7. But Jesus came. They're laying there. They think they're dead. God said, shut up. Jesus touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, so key, they saw no one but Jesus only. What just happened? Do you see what just happened? What happened to the old covenant? Where, where's the law and the prophets? Remember? Remember 2 Corinthians 3? Remember this verse? But the ministry of death written engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily in the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. And the glory was, what was it? Passing away. But nobody got it. It was passing away. It was passing away. And then in 3, verse 11, for if it was passing away, if that was glorious. See, it's always reminding us it was passing away. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, what happened? It passed away. They wake up and it's gone. And the only thing there is the new covenant. See, they wanted to stay up on the mountain because they thought it was the place where the glory of God is. They could never have imagined what we would have access to. So when Paul says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest. See, he's saying they're, they're blinded, they can't believe, lest 
the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God, the essence of God, should shine on them. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you this morning? Do you comprehend what the Bible wants you to know? You can look into the face of God. You can do what what Old Testament saints could have never in a billion years imagined. We walk around defeated and bummed out. Some of you just obsess over the problems of the government and the problems of your family and the problems of life and your problems with your finances and the problems with your health. And and listen, you can look into the face of God. You just think about this. God's saying, look in my face. You can see my face. You can look face to face right at me. You're worrying about all these other things. You're getting distracted by all this nonsense. And you just... Don't don't take advantage. Don't, Don't comprehend. Things don't go your way. According to your plans and your expectation. And you're defeated. Dear God, what is wrong with us? God's saying, you can look into my face. Do you not understand that? You don't have to dream about it. You don't have to wonder about it. You you don't have to live knowing things about God. You can know him, the essence of who he is. You have just unhindered access to God. The good news is not that we go up a mountain to seek the glory of God. Listen, it's not a religious ladder that you're trying to climb. If you're trying to do all these things, so if you do all these things, you can... You can reach the glory of God. And you're saying, well, I don't believe that. That's work salvation. You lie. You are lying. Because you know how I know you believe that? Because when you don't see the glory of God, the first thing that comes to your mind is because you haven't done the right thing. That's what you think. You think God hasn't shown you his glory because you haven't behaved right. That's a false gospel. It's it's a lie. You've never behaved right. One of y'all wants to leave. Go on. I know you're thinking this. Go ahead. We're used to it. It's fine. It only freaks out the visitors. It's a false gospel. That's not the good news. The good news is not there's a special place for special people. How many people go to church, sit in church, and look up there at their pastor and think, man, I could never be like him. What kind of nonsense is that? That is ridiculous. 
You should look and see God and go, wow, I have access to him. Yes. No, see, the good news of the gospel is that God's glory came down to seek us. That's what happened. I mean, look at the difference. Moses comes down the mountain. The children of Israel are worshiping a golden cow, and it results in the judgment of God, right? Jesus comes down, finds a world full of people worshiping idols, and it results in the salvation of God's people. You don't have to. It's very simple. Salvation, being born again, gives you unhindered access to the face of God. I, I don't... I can't say it anything. If that doesn't move your heart, then it's, your heart is veiled, and I have no control over that. The greatest thing in the entire universe is to look at the face of God. Now, I'm just telling you, you come in here this morning, you, the voice of condemnation is beating you up. You feel defeated. You feel, you feel discouraged. You feel condemned. You feel... Look into the face of God. None of those things have to change. You look into the face of God. And they'll fade like the old covenant. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this beautiful journey.